been listening to episode 47, chapter 3 of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. I'm Chris Lamberth. And I'm Josh Havens. And we're on a journey to learn what it means to live a lifestyle of discipleship. We're glad you're joining us and hope that as you set aside this time for God, that He would help you grow today in the everyday moments of life. Today, we're continuing our conversation with Alan Fadling, author of An Unhurried Life. Alan Fadling serves as a frequent speaker and consultant with local churches, national organizations, and leaders internationally. He's also president and founder of Unhurried Living Incorporated in Mission Viejo, California, inspiring people to rest deeper, live fuller, and lead better. He shows leaders how to get perspective so their leadership flows from a full soul and out of healthy rhythms of rest and work. A trained spiritual director, Alan is also the award-winning author of An Unhurried Leader and An Unhurried Life, which was honored with a Christianity Today Award of Merit in Spirituality. How do you know you're living a hurried life? If your goal, as someone who lives a lifestyle of discipleship, is to live a life of rest, how do you begin to change from stressed and hurried to rested and relaxed? In a famous sketch, Bob Newhart played a psychologist who gave his client probably the most important advice you could ever get for a hurried life. Stop it. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that you need to just stop being in a hurry. Instead, as Alan talks about in this chapter, it may just mean practicing disciplines of disengagement. Disciplines that mean, well, stopping. You won't want to miss Alan's wisdom in this chapter that comes from his own experience over the last 30 years in ministry. So what are some of the uh, signs, then, that you are living a hurried life? And then what can you do to sort of, you know, put the brakes on and begin to implement practices of unhurriedness? How can we begin to turn that corner? And I'm asking for the person who's listening to this saying, you know what, like, I'm recognizing that is me. What can I begin to do to change this? Yeah, it's a a fair question. So a lot of my work is, you know, with leaders, you know, they're, they're pastors or they're missionaries or they're committed volunteer leaders. They're not working for pay, but they're very much engaged in the work of the kingdom. And so a lot of times what I'll say to leaders is that it may well be your best next step would actually be what Dallas Willard would have called a discipline of abstinence, or I might say of disengagement. Those are disciplines like Sabbath or solitude or silence or secrecy or or fasting. Some form of instead of doing a discipline, it's not doing or undoing disciplines. So for me, for example, the practice of solitude and silence as a regular one has been absolutely critical to my recovery for the last 30 years. Because when I stop and when I'm alone and when I'm not talking, which is a big part of my job you know, these days, all of that stuff inside of me that's rushing and hurrying, that kind of fake me, that that driven me, that me that I put on to impress people or to accomplish things has nothing to do. Mm-hmm. It just has nothing to do. It, it just sort of withers in solitude and silence. You know, Thomas Merton's way of talking about some of this would have been the language of false self. 
And um, the thing is, the false self is hurried because if, if it isn't, it doesn't exist. You know, he uses the metaphor of the false self wrapping bandages around itself frantically trying to establish some sort of existence. Hmm. When we get into this hurried mode, what we're doing is trying to kind of prove this me that I think is me, but actually probably isn't actually me, the me made in Christ, the me that's a new creation in Christ. It's some me that's taken shape over time that kind of knows it doesn't really have an existence, kind of knows yeah. it really isn't substantial. And so I think um, those practices where I stop become really critical because that's when I have a chance, if I'll let myself, to listen. And when I listen, I may hear the voice of the one who calls me beloved. I may hear the voice of the one who says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Don't you remember? I did the choosing, not you. And I'm the one who appointed you to go and bear fruit. And it's going to be fruit that lasts if you do it that way. Mm -hmm. So those, you know, a lot of times busy, hurried, especially hurried leaders define their spiritual disciplines mostly in terms of doing lots of things, studying the Bible and preparing sermons and interceding for people and going on mission trips. And those are all beautiful expressions of grace. But in the absence of the uh, abstinence or disengagement practices, they can become idols. They really mm -hmm. can. One of the things you talk about is how painful that that uh, transformation was for you in the early days of beginning these uh, solitude and silence retreats. And, um, you know, it, it sort of strikes me as you're talking about we, we we're trying to create this false self and then they wither and die when we're when they're uh, forced to just be stuck out there on their own. And it's like it really does feel like some a part of us is dying when we're when we're forced to do some of these disciplines of abstinence and uh and that's exactly the point <laughs> so a lot of times you know we, we, you hear well i can't do that you know it's hard or it hurts or i tried and you know i didn't feel anything and um it, like again you pointed out you're like you expected god to give you some great revelation within like the first 15 minutes of this like uh, 75 minute exercise and uh, of silence and solitude. And all you found was silence and solitude. <laughs> and it's like, I, I don't know how we miss it, but we do like, we go into this thing with these false expectations of what these disciplines are supposed to accomplish. And maybe those things are supposed to just simply accomplishing, burning away that false self that you're talking about that we have uh that we've incorporated I, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit then about like what those early days of your ministry was like switching from because again then the, the uh the rebuttal that i hear after you say that is like well, but alan you don't understand like uh, i if i don't do the such and such and such you know like things aren't going to get done and then lives won't be one for the kingdom or you know on and on and on we we are masters of uh you know the rationalization so uh, but i think your story would do well to illustrate you know how how that turning to an unhurried way of living is actually more fruitful in the long run yeah yeah so um you know i was a, a local church college pastor um large enough church to have a full-time college pastor and uh we were in Southern California. We had a lot of local schools, USC, UCLA, a number of other schools in the area, students coming. And my philosophy of ministry is the more stuff that's on the calendar, the better. If I can pack the calendar with social events and 
fun things and ministry trips and evangelistic trips to downtown LA and you name it, the more I can pack into my calendar, the better. So that was my philosophy. Strangely enough, I was beginning to burn out in my late 20s and I was burning out students along with me. And I came to a crisis of ministry. It really wasn't a crisis of faith so much, but it was a crisis of ministry. And it was this, I can't keep doing this the way I'm doing it. I'm in my late 20s. I'm not going to survive another year or two, let alone another 20 or 30 or 40. And it was at that time that God brought along some mentors who started teaching me some of these things and showing me a different way than I than had been given me before. I was just doing what had been modeled for me. You know, be busy, be driven. I remember you, people using the language of hustle. If you're going to really, you know, be a great pastor, you got to hustle. And um, so then when I began to practice these disciplines, if you turn it into a math problem, it does look like less because there was less things on the calendar, not radically less, but a somewhat less because we were no longer measuring things by filling every night with some college activity. Here's what I began to find. I began to realize that fruit in the kingdom doesn't work on an addition principle. It works on a multiplication principle. Now we all know that and we've all heard that, well, if you disciple two and you mentor two and then the two becomes four and becomes eight and then wow, the whole world. But that dynamic is a real thing in the kingdom of God. And you know, if, if you wanna grow squash, you can do that in three months. But what if you wanted to grow a sequoia? Uh, what if the kingdom of God was about oaks of righteousness? And so what we began to experience was my own practice began to bleed over into our volunteer leaders, all of whom were students, and their lives began to be sort of shifted and it was really disorienting. I would say, honestly, it was probably a year or two of the hardest years in ministry I've ever experienced. It was way easier to be busy in ministry than to slow down and to pay attention to God and to pay attention to people. When I was just using students to get all the ministry jobs done, I never had to get in the mess of their lives. But when we slowed down and started loving each other and started watching for what it would look like to love God together, well, then all the mess surfaced and the relational tensions. I remember leadership team meetings that were nothing more than three or four different conferences of people trying to reconcile with each other because they'd never related at that level. They'd just mm -hmm. gotten jobs done together. That's easy compared to the hard work of becoming the body of Christ that's knit together in the love of Christ. That is hard, hard work. And you're not going to get that done in any kind of hurry. The thing I'm so grateful for, this was now almost 30 years ago that that college group, I was with them from 90 to 93 in this kind of mode. Three years before that, I was in the frantic busy mode. Um, so many of those young men and women now, of course, 50 something, not 20 something, uh, became leaders. They became pastors or missionaries or key uh, volunteer leaders in their communities. And it wasn't because of some amazing leadership development program I devised. It was because they learned how to listen to God and to walk with God. And strangely enough, God called them as God has a way of doing choosing them for particular ways of leading. It was a byproduct of what we were doing, not a strategic uh, outcome of what I had masterminded. 
So um, I believe in this unhurried approach. Do you need wisdom? Do you need strategic wisdom? You can't get that in a hurry. You need to receive that. Do you need creativity? Find an artist who's just knocking out paintings every 10 minutes. I don't want his art. I don't want her art. I, I want art that's been thoughtful, I want, that it's, it's been fermenting. And so that's a little bit of my story. I understand the busyness of ministry culture. That's still where I do a lot of my work. And what I want to say is you might actually find out if you slow down, you will bear much more fruit than your busyness has ever produced. I just think you need to measure fruit, not in quarterly numerical reports. I think you need to measure fruit the way you would measure fruit on a fruit tree or anywhere else in nature. It takes time. And um, so that's a little bit of my story about that transition. Thank you for that. I, I, again, I think it's a, I think it's a great story that's so relatable because for any of us who've been in ministry for any time, I mean, it's just instantly we've, we've felt very much the same way. And it, and it also, it helps answer, I think that why question too, why, do, why do we opt for busyness? And that that is because it's easier. <laughs> um, yeah, Which so I think it, is becoming a, even more prominent now that we're all forced to do stuff online, because it's so easy to just go live on Facebook or to put up a YouTube video and just keep pumping out that content more and more and more and do and do and do. And I don't know. I think the one thing that I'm concerned about here with the, the culture lately is that we, that we don't take this opportunity when we're all stuck inside and use it as a chance to disconnect and slow down. And instead we, we use it as a, an opportunity to make our lives go even faster because we can do things more quickly. Yeah, I, I have, I, I was talking to a pastor just a couple of days ago and he said, you know, I realized I was blaming my hurry on everybody else. I live in a busy culture, just can't help it. I'm in a busy church or ministry or business. I, I work for a busy supervisor, hurried supervisor. My young family's growing. Our calendar's packed with kids events. I can't help it. That's just, and now all that's gotten paused. And his statement was, maybe I'm the reason for my own hurry. Mm. And I really think this could be, if we let it, this could be an unexpected sabbatical. I think it could be a space of Sabbath if we would let it. We've been walking our neighborhood. We are not a neighborhood that's known for neighborliness. Southern California is not usually super good at that, especially not here in Orange County. But you walk around our neighborhood now and there are families sitting in their driveways with little fire pits having conversations. You never see that. There are opportunities in the midst of what is indeed in a pandemic and with a lot of grief and loss in the midst of it. But there is an opportunity for us to do a reboot if we would let ourselves. Are you struggling to slow down and live a relaxed life in Christ? Perhaps Alan's story is just now convincing you that you're living a hurried life. If you find yourself rushing through life, I want to challenge you to evaluate how you're measuring your own fruitfulness. What expectations are you trying to measure up to? What is driving you to constantly do and to produce results? Are you trying to prove your worth by being the best in ministry or making the most sales at the company? We won't be able to slow down our pace of life as long as we are pursuing the wrong fruit. 
as Alan pointed out in this chapter, an oak tree takes much longer to grow than squash. So, if you're pursuing oaks of righteousness, we shouldn't expect results overnight. Our strategy, our way of life, must therefore adjust to appropriately match the new fruit we are trying to produce. Jesus spent the majority of his ministry investing in the lives of 12 young men, and three in particular. Jesus measured the success of his life through his obedience to his Father's will and the few followers who faithfully followed him. So ask yourself, what kind of fruit are you pursuing? And is it causing you to live a hurried life? How can you create a lifestyle of discipleship? Most Christians think discipleship is a program or a few practices thrown in at the beginning or end of the day. But we want to help you create a lifestyle where walking with Jesus throughout the day is not only possible, but natural. And we have a tool that's going to help you do just that. It's called the Daily Growth Journal. It's a guided journal that's going to help you become secure in your identity with God and authentically walk with Him in your daily life. Growing daily in your walk with Christ is possible if you cultivate a lifestyle of discipleship. And the Daily Growth Journal will help you do just that. listening to this episode of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. To find out more about Alan's work, check out unhurriedliving.com. Then check out the next chapter in our conversation, where Alan talks about the difference between things we call rest and actual rest. If you want to stay up to date on everything happening at Daily Growth Discipleship, go to dailygrowthdiscipleship.com and subscribe for free. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Spotify.